Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. to the LARCast. Bible time with Russ and Tony is not what you're going to be experiencing today. You're actually going to be experiencing Bible time with Tony and Jameson. Jameson, what's up, man? Welcome back hey, to the LARCast. Good Just to have you, man. Yeah. What? So where are you right now in the world? We know you're right a traveling now. man. Yep. I'm in my camper right now, and we're in Amana, Iowa which is one of the touristy parts of Iowa. Uh Oh, (laughs) (laughs) if you're looking for antiques (laughs) or you're looking for, (laughs) yeah, exactly. We walked through some of the shops yesterday and they're all pride, priding themselves on local Iowa made gifts and trinkets and stuff. And I was like, there's a lot of Iowa Hawkeyes. And there's a lot of those little signs with words on them that you hang on your wall. <laughs> but I, I don't know, man. It's different here. Yeah. So we just got uh, my daughter and I, Anna, we went up to a wedding um, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, the UP with the Upers. Yo. And um, this is the official Midwest podcast, by the way. Yes. <laughs> like Lark Midwest is, is having a moment right now. Um, <laughs> But um, we stayed in Green Bay because I've never been to Green Bay. I've never seen Lambeau Field. And I'll, I'll tell you that Packers fans are definitely more intense. They're better fans than Bears fans in that they don't have anything else going on in their lives. So the only thing they have is the Packers. Like you have HVAC companies like named like Packer guy, air HVAC or like, you know, Packer land shipping, you know, logistics. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, man. Like literally like the Packers are your guy's identity. And my daughter's like, man, dad, they're like, they're like such better fans than we are. I'm like, yeah, babe. Like this is all they have going on. Like, this is it, you know? And um, so we were like laughing about that. But then like up there is like all the cheese shops and everyone has to stand out differently than the rest of them. So they're like cheese shop plus wine, cheese plus wine and fudge. And the funniest one was like <laughs> cheese, wine, fudge and moccasins. And you're like, we're like, oh, skirt. <laughs> what? You turn immediately. Oh, y'all got moccasins too. <laughs> so they have changed the cheese game <laughs> <laughs> but it was so funny it was like we we uh we ate at a starbucks and across the way we grabbed breakfast one morning um and um we were hit, you know hitting the road so starbucks will do but um there's like this interior decorating you know place but then they also sold cheese I was like, everybody sells cheese. Like the old Navy out there has got cheese. Like DSW's got cheese. Best Buy's got cheese. Like everyone just adds cheese onto everything. But I thought of you because when I was coming home, um, we got a flat tire like an hour into our drive. 
and I had to pull over on the side of the road, my truck, you know, it was like a really, it kind of, I mean, like always when you have to change a tire, it sucks, but kind right, of like right. a cool, like teaching moment, you know, for my 12 year old daughter, Anna. And so we had, we, we had a, a, a blast. Um, but, um, I didn't know how to get my tire down. Cause it's like a crank system for the F-150 and I'm yeah. down there trying to like pull this thing off or whatever. So I, had, I didn't, and I don't, I tried to access my manual like um, through my phone, but I had three bars of LTE and it wasn't pulling up. It was like, what the oh, heck, man? man? So I could have been done with this thing in 20 minutes, but it was like 45 minutes, but I got to shout out my boy, Jake. And we both know Jake. I called Jake and he knew exactly yeah. what to do. Shout out to Jake. He's always, he's always the man with the plan, but uh, <laughs> yeah, man, fixing that flat tire. That was not a good start to a six hour drive home. No, that doesn't sound. And I know you've experienced some similar things being on the road. Yeah, we were uh, driving from Nashville to St. Louis and, you know, just chugging along on the interstate with a maxed out three quarter ton SUV. (laughs) We're going down a hill and somebody pulls up next to me and they're waving their hands and they're like pointing back. I'm like, that's not good. Okay. Look in my right side rear view mirror and I'm like, wow, it does look a little tipped back there. So I pull over and sure enough one of the tire one of my four trailer tires was gone the wheel the trailer or the the wheel and the tire gone they just broke off oh, the, the whole the whole wheel just everything <laughs> was just gone yeah less than three four thousand miles on a brand new rim and tire and it's gone we couldn't find oh, it anywhere <laughs> but Dude. uh could have been a lot more dangerous and we got to figure it out yeah yeah exactly man so um you know, these are just minor inconveniences, not any real suffering going on here. Um, no. Yeah. But hey, this is this that that's that traveling life, man. If you're going to hit the road, you're probably going to have to, you know, change a tire or replace a tire or in an entire wheel on the fly. Yeah. Yep. OK, jumping back in, uh, Jamie, you're going to be wrapping up chapter two in the Gospel of John for us. And dude, it, <laughs> it ends with a, with a bang. Yeah. Probably one of the more intense scenes um, we're going to see in, in John's gospel. There's a lot of them, um, but this one's pretty amazing. So man, take it away. All right. I'm going to take it away. Um, John two, we're going to start in verse 13. I'm just going to read the text and then make some observations on the context itself. And then the story. And then share with you guys a couple um, implications to consider based on what's going on here in the story and why John put it here. So, and while we read this, I just have to say this, um, you know, anytime you're reading scriptures, I think it's helpful to put your mind in in a, or at least ask yourself the question, maybe I haven't heard this right before, or maybe I haven't heard this scripture before. Even if you've read it a thousand times, um, the cool thing about the scriptures is that they are spirit inspired. (laughs) They're handed to us um, by the spirit with human help. Um, And that's a mystery and it's a beautiful thing. But what that means for us is when we read the scriptures, we don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) And that's actually okay. And I think it might be one of the most freeing things uh to consider when you're diving in so i'm going to read this out loud and let's 
let's allow the spirit of God to do what the spirit does. And we're going to talk about what we see. actually can I can I offer a suggestion? Can you read it just quietly to yourself for the, the purpose of this podcast? Do you have to read it out loud? You want me to not read it out loud? Yeah, just read it quietly to yourself. Just invite everyone to just read quietly. So I just have like a two and a half minutes of silence on the podcast. I can't tell if you're making fun of me or you're making fun of everybody else. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being an idiot. All right, here we go. <laughs> Verse 13, the Jewish Passover was near. And so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them, since he knew them all, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Okay, um... I want to actually start off with painting a maybe slightly modernized picture of what might be going on here. So in your mind's eye, imagine the White House, okay? That huge whole front courtyard is overflowing with thousands of people and booths and all kinds of stuff. And a preaching lineup has been invited. You've got Billy Graham, you've got Bill Johnson, Bill Hybels, all living in the same generation. Joel Osteen, you've got Albert Moeller. Uh, throw in anybody you want. I'm not taking shots. But it's a pretty great, well-known preaching lineup, okay? They're all here. They're going to they're gonna bring this Easter message. It's Easter weekend, okay? At the White House, preaching. Probably one of the biggest crowds you've ever seen preaching, but here comes some like unremarkable carpenter with a ragtag of bearded dudes. They're all from Louisiana, but no one has ever, you can tell they're from Louisiana, but you don't really have never, you've never seen them before. Um, they're making their way through the crowd. They see all the merch and the booths and the food and the people just everywhere. And they're all moving towards this uh, platform where there's going to be a present, uh, several preaching presentations. But suddenly the dude, the carpenter, uh, he just starts flipping tables. He's literally throwing everything off the tables, flipping the table. He's taking their money boxes and dumping them out. And he's got this thing in his hand that he's it's making noise. And he, he's like whipping it and slapping and 
people are running and screaming and hiding and he's just clearing everybody out. And what he ends up saying is, you don't know what the temple is and you don't know where it is, but where you're putting God, where you're giving my father credit for dwelling, you have created and turned it into nothing but a merchandising space. Mm. You've turned it into something where you actually are more well off because when people come in to make their sacrifices or to become, to go through the purification codes or to do whatever it is to be right and righteous and to make the world right and righteous, um, it's actually all you. You made it all up. None of this is my temple. None of this is where the father dwells. So stop telling people where the father is. Okay. Like Dang. that's, that is probably less intense than what it would feel like to be a Jew in the temple on Passover when this dude shows up and starts wrecking shop. <laughs> uh, I want to like try of to all days that. to be at the temple. This is the day, okay? This is it. It's the, the Super Bowl of Sundays. <laughs> yep. There isn't anything bigger. Uh, this is the main event in Jewish religious life. You come to Jerusalem, which is the center geographically of Jewish religious life, on the biggest day of the year, Passover. You're celebrating what happened that allowed Israel to leave Egypt, the Exodus, right? Exodus is one of the biggest signs in the Old Testament. And actually, it's one of the biggest things that John is talking about in the Gospel of, of John. So we'll probably talk about that more later on in another show. But what you have going on here, John's putting this at the front of his story. And will you, what you'll see in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is that the temple cleansing comes right before the crucifixion not at the right. very beginning of Jesus ministry. And I'm inclined with lots of other people who've spoken and talked about this. And after reading some scholars on it, I'm inclined to believe that John isn't suggesting this is another temple cleansing, a different one, but the same one. And he's just giving it a different space in the story for a theological reason. Okay. So right. John, which is John, like he's, yeah, he's yeah. more theological than the other ones for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I think he's more of an artist in, in a lot of ways as, as a writer. So what, what we do with that, what we need to pay attention to is that John's drawing a lot of attention and focus here, but he's also restructuring all of the imagery. He's like, you remember the Exodus. Here's what you've done with it. I'm suggesting something totally new and different. But you're not going to be able to handle seeing anything outside of what you already see unless I just, I have to change it all the way. I have to make it absolutely ridiculous in order I gotta to make a attention. scene. Yep. So that's what's going on here. It's paradigmatic, if you want to use that word. I was trying to find the right word for it. It's like, this is a moment of moments in John's gospel and in the ministry of Jesus. Um, this is, this changing everything. So there's, there's context for you. Okay. That's where this is coming out of 
not to mention the immediate context, we just got done going through the story of turning where Jesus turns water into wine by filling purification jars. <laughs> These purification jars are what are one of the ways you keep yourself religiously pure, spiritually clean. Jesus fills it with water or has the servants fill it with water and he turns it to wine and the whole party gets to keep on going because of Jesus. So something's being flipped on its head here about how people are one with God. I mean, you guys talked about that on the last episode. And what's crazy is that it's getting magnified in this next story um, by basically taking the thing that's dearest to all of the Jewish religious society hmm. and basically unceremoniously taking the child, shaking all of the lunch money out and taking it <laughs> and running hmm. away. Like that's what Jesus is doing to yeah. the religious kids here. Um, he's shaking them down. <laughs> <laughs> or he's whipping them. Yeah. Either one. Which, oh man. And he's got a I whip. Can't, like he he's has a whip. whip. I know. Like he's, he made it for this exact moment. You can just see him standing there on the. This is a pre-meditated moment. This is yep. not. This is not something reactionary or you know, emotionally driven. You know, by him purely. Man. And you can just imagine the disciples watching him like braid this thing. Like, like is he just? Is this doing? like he just needs to use his fingers to do something? He's trying to like focus or pay attention. What no, have we got ourselves into? Is probably what they're asking themselves. Ah, man, I can't imagine their hearts have to be pumping out of their chest. So like they're, we're going to die. We're all going to die. <laughs> we're all going like, to die. They're going to put all of us on some kind of religious trial and get rid of us. Okay. So Baxter Kruger and Robert Capon, among others, both call this scene an acted parable or a living parable because it's Jesus acting out something that's not just an event that happened in our scriptures, like you can historically see something happened here, but it's just loaded and freighted with meaning. And so uh, that, that's why we're going to look at some of these, like, what is the tension? What's the, why is this such a big deal? Why is what's turned on its head here exactly? Um, and the main thing I want to talk about is death. <laughs> um Death happens in the temple in a, in a variety of ways, um, but John's gospel is all about helping us see, and this is, this is actually Kruger's words. He says, the whole purpose of John's gospel narrative is the one purpose of this scene is to show us what it means that the son of God became human. And right, John says at the end of the book, he says, I've written all of these things so that you may believe in the one who was sent, so that you may have life in the one in whom you believe. That's exactly what's going on here in this story. Um, so this isn't about Jesus being brave and courageous. This isn't about Jesus being super devoted and committed necessarily in the way we might use it to teach. Sure. Um, it's actually to say, all of the ways you think you're called to be devoted and to get to God are not the ways to get to God. Hmm. Um, 
and something entirely different is happening here. So here's another point along the way that I think is stunning to me. John lets the cat out of the bag completely in his gospel. I mean, he starts out in Genesis 1 or in John 1 saying Jesus is is God. In no uncertain terms, he is saying Jesus is not just another human. He is God in flesh. And he's come to do incredible things. And you guys have already gone through all of that. I don't need to recapitulate any of it. But what he does here in this story, you heard it in verse 22. John interprets his own story while he's telling it. He's telling your story. And he says, when he was speaking about the temple, uh, he was speaking about the temple of his body in verse 22. So when he was raised from the dead, so John just like zoomed out of the story for the reader. And he's like, hey, this Jesus, who's God, he dies. And then he raises to life. <laughs> and it's in that moment that the disciples realize. So you get John like tying strings to the end of his story that you haven't even read yet. But it's for a reason. He is putting death and resurrection in the center of religious life. Hmm in the text and in the story itself and Jesus physically standing there. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's mind bending. Like they don't see it. They don't get it. They're completely numb to seeing it. Mm. Um, but eventually, apparently later on, they do come around to see it. So a couple more notes before we dive into really the big kaboom for me. One is that in the Matthew telling of this story at the end of it, it says in 21, Matthew 21, 14, the blind and the lame come to him in the temple, right on the heels of this, and he cured them. And it's, it's really impactful to keep that in view here. And it even says in our, our version here in John that many believed in his name throughout the Passover festival. <clears throat> they were seeing Jesus and experiencing him as what they'd hoped for but as much more and much better than what they had originally hoped for. Jesus is doing and enacting something completely fresh and something very beautiful here. He's bringing life where they're used to having only uh, liability. They're used to only having responsibility. One other note, the fig tree is something that gets cursed in, I think it's in the telling in, of the gospel of this story in the gospel of Mark. The story goes, Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, passes a fig tree that has nothing on it, curses it, even though it's out of season, it's not ready to bear fruit. And so he curses it, goes in, cleanses the temple, walks back by the next day with the disciples. And they're like, whoa, that tree's dead now. <laughs> it's totally toast. And Jesus is like, yeah, I mean, if you ask that mountain to move into the sea, it will do it. And everyone's just like, what is he? what is going on? What is he talking about? And I want to make one note about that. It's a fig tree. And if you remember anything about fig leaves, that was the very first religious cover-up in the story of Genesis. Mm -hmm. So Adam and Eve, they do the sin thing, right? They disbelieve, they distrust Jesus. They hear God, the father walking through the garden. They grab fig leaves because they're pretty big. 
and they fashion a covering with it. And it is the way that they keep themselves from being exposed to one another and to God. They started a small business, dude. It was on an underwear line for men and women. That's right. Big trees. Yep. You like that? That was like my first interjection in 10 minutes and it was really stupid. I, I dig it. It's exactly that's what a, happened. That was a dad joke. That was a bad. That was, no, that's not a dad joke. That's a bad pastor joke right there. Bad pastors. Like a, like a bad pastor joke. Pastor jokes gone wrong. <laughs> but think about the like the gravity of that. I think that there's there's a connection there that Jesus is drawing. Um, we have chosen to cover ourselves from the light, which it also says later on. I think you're going to talk about this, or maybe Russ will the next podcast. But we choose the darkness. We prefer the darkness yeah. to the light. Um, because of, we're afraid of being exposed. Okay. The yep. fig leaves are judged. And that's not Jesus being mean to a tree. It's making the same point as the temple moment, which is you don't get to God the way you think you get to God. In fact, the way you think to God presupposes that you are not with him, that he doesn't love you. That that is what Jesus is saying here. But here's, it goes on. Like Jesus doesn't just cleanse the temple. He doesn't just get everything and everybody out. What ends up happening is for the first time in all of human and Jewish religious history, you have a human standing in the temple, completely fulfilling all of what it ever stood for. First time ever. He's holy. He's righteous. He, it says zeal for my father's house will consume me. It's this, it's a, uh, he's quoting a Psalm about the devotion of the son to the father. Right. Well, the temple is a place where you go to express your devotion to God and you receive atonement and cleansing and purification. And um, you get with God essentially. And Jesus shows up, not just to kick out all of the people doing it their own way, but to fill it. He fills it with himself, and John brings in the re- the death and resurrection of Jesus into that explanation. So what does it mean to be devoted? It's Jesus filled the temple. And I'm going to take it one step further, okay? So Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. They asked him for a sign, like, why how do you have the authority to cleanse the temple jesus right all the religious leaders are asking him this prove yourself and well jesus, yeah dude i mean if you're gonna do you know january 6 you know bible version on um, the white house lawn you know like you're gonna have to give an answer for that yeah exactly why are you doing how, this man yeah who do you think you are essentially yeah. right how dare you Jesus says something ridiculous to them that again, they're like, you can't build a temple in three days that took us 46 years to build. <laughs> they're just, they can't see anything outside of it. I don't even think the disciples understood what he was talking about. John inserts that. Oh yeah. He's actually talking about his body, the temple, right. um, the place that God lives is not the temple. Humans wanted a King right? God was like, that's not going to go well for you. They do it anyway. David's like, I want to build you a temple. God's like, I don't need it. 
I don't dwell in anything built by human hands. Solomon is proud of himself for building that temple. Now here we are back in the temple. Jesus is filling it. It's, it's incredible. Like you would imagine a God who's like trying to keep things on, tr- on track that he would just do the babble thing and like obliterate all of it. It's like, no, he, he doesn't send the flood. He comes inside of it, uses it against you <laughs> to prove his love to you hmm. from the inside. Like God didn't make up the temple. I don't think the temple was God's idea of like, this is how it's going to go. This is how yeah. we're going to fix things. That's what we do. And he shows up and says, okay, I'll speak your language. But it's going to be a shocker. It's going to completely shock you, which also goes to show like why I want to talk about death is that Jesus is shown here in this story to be one who dies and then who is raised back to life. And you've heard, right, the Isaiah's uh isaiah passage where it says by his wounds we are healed and not by his showing up on a horse but a donkey he doesn't come with a sword he gets crucified on a cross jesus isn't anything like what they were expecting and so here's one last kruger quote i promise i won't just speak kruger the whole time but baxter kruger says christ used our bitter rejection of him to bind us in union with him forever, which what, like, this doesn't even make sense, but he transformed our treachery into the mercy seat. This like absolute center of the whole temple space was the mercy seat. And he transfigured our unfaithfulness into the new covenant. Our rejection of the anointed son into a new relationship. Again, he's filling from the inside with himself um what i want to like take this just for a few minutes here at the tail end into some encouragement for you for you all as you're reading this um something that this means for you and for me is i think it's an implication is that all of the religious stuff that you think you need to do in order to stay in good graces or to stay in the favor of god you need to ask yourself which things are made up what of those things are made up what of those things are man-made what of them are unnecessary my first point for you is that you're free from religious liability you are not religiously liable for what it takes to be included in the life and the love of god that's just true And that's what this story is showing us. This is not a story about getting religion right. It's about Jesus showing up inside of everything we thought we knew instead of being outside of it. He's in it and he's calling you to himself. He's drawing you in. He's helping you see himself. This means none of your failures have authority over you. None of your shortcomings are going to show up on a progress report. Your life, what does it say in Colossians, is hidden with christ or in god with christ i probably quoted that wrong but it makes the point secondly you're free to toward religious liberty your life is already true and whole you are good because christ has filled you to overflowing and he's never not been there in the first place what what i want to say for all of us is that 
this means that there's a different way we can interact with God than we often give ourselves um, the leash to do. And that's that you can bring all of your anxieties to Jesus because he's in you. Like you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to say anything special. You can bring your anxieties to Jesus and ask him to pour you another round of 200 proof assurance. I don't feel like I believe, but I believe help my unbelief. Please give me assurance. I want people to feel like, man, ask him for assurance. And I believe he'll give it to you. I don't believe that your inability to measure up to whatever religious practices you've dedicated yourself to the anxiety that comes out of those, that is not like what you've been called to. Those are accusations of an, of an enemy um, that you don't have to submit to any longer, nor Hmm. do you have to invite anybody else to measure up to those. Let's just ask Jesus to give us assurance. And the last point is, We talk a lot about presuppositions when you interpret scripture. What are you bringing to the text that wasn't already there? And I want to say, let's add a new presupposition to our life. A presupposition of shamelessness. If Jesus did what he said he did and what John's putting forward here, that he has filled from the inside all of our unfaithfulness with his faithfulness, and credit it to us and raised to the life after the death that we dealt him. Well, that means you're more holy than you've ever let yourself believe. That means that you are, you've never dared to trust Jesus this much. And I haven't either. And I think it's okay to believe that Jesus, I think it's okay to believe that his father really loves who you really are truly. Jesus became incarnate and then he goes inside of our temple systems and he completely fills it beyond capacity so that we might finally see, or at least get a glimpse that this isn't what I thought it was. Like Mm. the love of God does actually supersede everything I ever imagined. So assurance is yours, my friends. Jesus didn't come to make it more stringent. He showed up and showed up to the temple to show that it's finished, to show that it's done and that we can trust him. I think that that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like when you really dive in and see what John's doing, you know, like you see these, well, why does this follow the, the wedding, you know, and you have filling of jars, filling of a temple. He's got this Mm. imagery, you know, going on. And so I'm just like, the, the, just the thought or moment I'm having is like, dang, man, like John, John is so legit, you know, <laughs> and, and like this gospel is so dope. Um, you know, the temple, man, like it, it, like it was it like the temple in their mind, like for those of us who trust in Christ, like Jesus is uh, the mediator. He is, he is the very meeting place, you know, for us to, he's the way to the father, the only way to the father. But you got to understand, like in their mind, they thought that was the temple back then. Yep. That's how they trusted in that place. And so when he says like, hey, man, tear this temple, you know, down in three days, I'm going to build it up. That was used against him in his trial. <laughs> that phrase yeah. was used against him to be a blasphemer. Again, you know what I'm saying? 
And, um, you know, for him to say, man, something greater than the temple is standing right in front of you, like later Mm -hmm. on, I don't know if it's in John's gospel or in some of the other ones. So to, to sort of poke a bear, not even just in a phrase, but to do what, what he did in a very shocking and vivid way, he is letting us know that it's really just about him. That's going to come out in, Mm -hmm. in a, in a really cool way in, um, the conversation with Nicodemus in next chapter, but man, cool insights. Some definitely some nuggets I haven't heard before and some ways in which to think about that. But thanks for listening. Um, as always, we appreciate you, Larkast listeners. Um, seriously, we do. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for all the messages. Thank you for all the comments. Thank you for the ongoing engagement in this conversation. We will be back next week with John chapter three. And until then, cheers. Cheers.